Well, our sermon today, uh, it's, it was really a surprise. Uh, I was, don't know that Chris had given a, he'd given a lot of thought to it. He knew he was going to be out on sabbatical, and he needed somebody to be preaching for him, and he already had evidently started that process. As he and I were walking out from a meeting here at the church and out on the parking lot, he's moving away from me toward his car, and I'm moving toward mine, and, and uh, he just stops and looks back at me, and he says, you want to preach while I'm gone? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, pick a psalm, your favorite psalm, and let me know so that nobody else gets that, and we'll, uh, yeah, and you can do that. And they called and gave me a date, which happened to be today, Super Bowl Sunday, and I says, oh, hmm. <laughs> you showed up, that's good. Yeah. <clears throat> used to, uh, I think that used to be a bigger deal in some people's lives. The pastor said not long ago that he was uh, kind of bummed when, whenever the Cowboys would lose, and uh, or his favorite team would lose. And I remember, I used to feel that. I'd go and preach on Sunday night, and before I'd get up, I would think, why am I feeling so down this afternoon? I don't understand that. And then it hit me one day. The Cowboys lost. <laughs> and I said, how stupid is that? <laughs> so that was the last time that I got down whenever the Cowboys lost. <laughs> it's a good thing because they've been... <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun if they get on a regular winning streak again, but we, that's, that is not the spiritual things, folks. We're not concerned about that. We just laugh about the things of this world. Sometimes the things of this world are not very laughable. That, my sermon will be touching on that today, because when Chris, when Chris said, pick out your favorite psalm, that's always a difficult thing. Where am I going to find my favorite psalm? But God had been leading me in, uh, on the, the couple of weeks before that to just focus on Psalm 67. And so I wouldn't say that that is my favorite song, but it had become one of my favorite songs. And I, uh, even as I was just meditating on that psalm, I texted my cousin and I said, this is a, song, a psalm that all of us need to be praying all the time. And uh, he texted back and he agreed. <clears throat> Uh, especially in light of our world today. Aren't we in a mess? Yeah. yeah. We can look at our, uh, you know, I think about our world. I think about America. And then I begin to think, you know, it's not just America. We've got a pandemic that's worldwide and affecting every nation on the face of this earth. We've got riots. Look, have you looked on the news recently? Some people want to call them riots. Other people call them demonstrations. What's the difference between a riot and a demonstration? I'll leave that with you. I'm not going to get into politics, okay? But let me just say that there are, we, what's happening up in Canada right now? Did you know that they've made laws over in Europe, and a couple, I think Germany and France, that, uh, that truckers can't do what they're doing in Canada now? And uh, so, yeah, this is worldwide that's going on around us now. Would there be demonstrations in China? Well, if they were allowed, they would be. Uh, how about North Korea? If they were allowed, they would be. Where they are allowed, demonstrations are going on. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough time, not only in our nation, but around the world, which leads me to believe that we are close to that time when Jesus is coming again. Now, Chris has made it clear, and I agree with him. This may just be another birth pain. It may not be the final one. That's in God's timing. He's going to bring that about when he's ready. In the meantime, we've got a job to do. What happens when the master comes and he finds that his servants aren't doing their work? 
It wasn't a good thing for the servants, was it? Who are the servants? That's right. It's us. We're the ones. There's an old Pogo cartoon. Those of you that are old enough to remember that, which very few in here know. A few of you might. It says, we met the enemy and he is us. You might have heard that saying anyway. So yes, I think that that's a big part of the problem. I think that many of the things that we're dealing with in our uh, world today, uh, you know something, I'm seeing something else too. Isn't it amazing? Oh, there it is. Thank you, Jesus. This technology can kind of get you up. I, uh, it said it needed an update, so I put an update on it for last night and do it 2 o'clock. I get in here for the, between services, and there's a sign on it that says uh, installing update. And I said, oh, no, not now. <laughs> <laughs> but just before I got up to preach, it says your update is complete. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so we're ready. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Those, th those three phrases there really encompass everything there is about life and relationship with Jesus. There's a whole lot more to it or we wouldn't have all the rest of the Bible. But that right there, those three things there really encompass virtually everything about our life spiritually. And that's what I want to open up to you just a little bit. And um, you'll already know this stuff. But you, maybe if you hadn't thought about it, maybe something that would get you to think about and, and focus on for a little while there. The writing of this psalm, nobody knows exactly when it was or exactly who it was. As uh, I looked into that, uh, this is kind of a consensus of opinion that it might very well have been David and certainly nothing to worry about. So, and that's almost a quote from some of the commentaries that I read there. So I'm not really worried about that as to exactly who wrote it. I know that God inspired that person to write every exact word that is here. And so that every word of it means something to us. And so when I go into the word of God, I like to just stop sometimes and, and just say, why is that word here in this sentence this way? And then I just let God begin to speak to me as I search that. And normally it brings another scripture up to mind. And I said, oh, yeah. So I'll look at that one. And so you're going to see a number of scriptures referenced today, but I won't give you all of them. My wife looked at my notes and she says, that's a lot of scriptures. I said, yeah, it is. I'm not going to use them all. It's just that's part of the background, getting things set to move forward there. So as we look into this, uh, just let God speak to you. Let me say, too, about the, uh, this song that uh, has been written here. I don't think the psalmist understood everything that he was writing. Does that sound strange? He's saying things in here that the Old Testament backs up. But he said some things in here concepts that are in here that there is no way that somebody 500 years before approximately before the apostle paul would have ever been able to see these things before the advent of jesus upon the face of this earth he wouldn't have been he didn't know who jesus was he knew a messiah was coming he didn't know his name though he didn't know everything that jesus would be teaching but he knew much of it because it's Revealed in the scripture. But some things that are in the scripture, like in this psalm here, very, in this very first verse there too, going to be shown a little bit later. And the Apostle Paul is going to show us about that. I won't go into a lot of detail there, but I do want to go back to that. 
This was sung at the Feast of Tabernacles, time when they would, uh, or the harvest feast, when people would bring their first fruits in and bring it to the temple. It was a big, big gathering together in Jerusalem, and, and our pastor went through that um, last year, year before, somewhere in there, uh, the, the different time, different feasts that were going on, celebrations. They were huge crowds They were there. And now as they brought in these first fruits of their harvest and they offered them up to God, there was singing that was going on too. This was a hymn that was sung in our prayer that was sung in the temple, in the temple area with uh, maybe all the people singing. Maybe there were some times where some of it sang part of it and some of them sang another part of it like we did in the responsive reading here where the praise team did part of that. This psalm is full of praise. Uh, four times in there it's talking about telling us that we uh, need to be praising the Lord or, or blessing the Lord. Or praising the Lord basically is what it's saying. Six times it, tells, it uses the word or the name God in there that we know who we're praying to. This is not some other God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God that, uh, that led them out of Egypt. This is, this is one God. There is only one God. The psalm was sung during this fall festival time. God had again blessed Israel. They had received uh, this great harvest, and now they're giving that back to the Lord, or a portion of that back to the Lord. And they're looking forward to another harvest at the same time. And that really is the focus of this as I was reading this. is not just the harvest that's going to be coming up. We thank you, God, for this one. If we go back a few chapters in, um, in Psalms, we'll come to a, a psalm that is asking for that harvest and looking forward to that harvest. This one is recognizing that God has, has blessed us and given us a harvest. Now, is there more harvest to come? And I believe there is. And we're not just talking about another harvest next year. But we're going to see as we go down through this, heart, this, this psalm that there is, he's asking for another harvest. Now, my question is, what harvest is he asking for here? And when it says the earth has given its increase, that's at the end of, it, of the psalm anyway. Uh, when it says the earth has given an increase, it's an increase obviously of food. God has given us all of this for food. Well, most of it. But it's more than that too. We hear about population control, don't we? Too many people on the face of the earth, and so we need to do something. And some countries have said, you can only have one child. And then they said, oh, you know, after a couple of uh, a dozen years in this, we maybe need to change that. Okay, you can have two children. And, uh, and, and what's happening in, in some places like that, since it wasn't the son, the little girl gets left to die. Uh, sad commentary on our world. Oh, well, we can talk about other countries, can't we? Because we never do anything like that here in America. No. Yes, we do. We have murdered millions of children in this country. Yes, well, our hands are, are stained with that blood also. No. God, this, this world is giving a harvest. And you know what? The harvest is good. The harvest is good. The people are good. One day, well, we'll save that for just a little while. I want to get ahead of myself. But we're looking forward to that day. When that last harvest comes, we'll look at that toward the end of this. Talked a little bit about already what this world's going through, man. We've got pandemics, civil upheavals, political divisions, international tensions, massive distrust, failure of the rule of law, and riots. Nation, nations are searching for solutions. And a list like that, you could go on. I could ask you to give some more, and you definitely could give some more. 
Let me tell you, these are just the man-made ones. What about the hurricanes, the floods, the tornadoes, the earthquakes? Um, I'm, I'm leaving out a bunch of others. Fires. There's all of these things that are happening around our globe here in America. Did you know we're in a burning season right now in East Texas? Right here where we are. Praise God for a little bit of rain. And snow for those that happen to see that. <laughs> Unusual for us. We got a tenth of an inch, by the way. That's better than nothing. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So, we have broken relationships between nations, between races, social groups, marriages, relatives, people who were friends, and now we refer to them as former friends. Brokenness all around us. And nobody can fix it. Oh, whenever we have some kind of catastrophe come up, all of a sudden there's a meeting, some office somewhere in halls of Congress or in state legislatures. What are we going to do about this that we can fix it? Let me tell you something. They can't fix anything. Put the emphasis, they can't fix anything. They can do some things to mitigate some of the things that are going on. They can be of help to some people, but they can't solve the problem. They can put testing machines out to tell us when maybe we'll have another earthquake. They haven't perfected that. Don't think they will. Or when the volcano's going to blow, they can say it looks like it's getting close. But who's going to fix it? Who's going to stop it? It can't be done. There is a solution. There is one that can fix it if he wants to fix that, and that's God. You say, well, why wouldn't God want to fix it? He can fix everything. If, if, if God can take all of this away, but you know there's two things. God it does have that free will to do whatever and the power to do whatever and whenever and however he wants to do that. But at the same time, somehow in his grace, he's given me free will. And you, free will. And God says, do it this way, but like Adam and Eve, I'm going to do it my way. You know, it suffered the consequences and death, the penalty of death came upon all of us. And we can't just blame Adam and Eve because, you know what? My sin may not be exactly their sin. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, it is. Because my sin is, and their sin is, God won't do it my way, not your way. God says, do it this way. And they said, hmm, maybe not. And so we do what we want to do, and we end up paying the penalty for that, and then we want to blame God for it. Or we want to blame somebody else for it. Mankind cannot fix this. It is going to have to be through God that it is fixed. And it is, and it will be fixed. Looking forward to that. One day we will have that new heaven and that new earth and none of this sin stuff is going to be around. It's going to be gone. We'll walk in the freedom and joy and see things about God. In this passage of Scripture, it says, God, be gracious to us. I say, God, pour your grace out upon us. Give that to me. The Apostle Paul is told that 
My grace is sufficient for you. Paul was having some kind of problem. None of us know what it was. But God says, my grace is sufficient. Yeah, you're going through this hard time. It's unpleasant. You don't want to be there. My grace is sufficient. If you're reading another version of this, you probably have the words, be merciful to us. Because that word is interchangeable in translation there. Gracious. God pouring His grace out upon us. God being mercy, merciful to us. Isn't that God pouring His grace out upon us? Oh, I need God's mercy not for, uh, for sure. Not what I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. For your grace. Be gracious to us. And so he, he prays that. That will be a part of our prayer too. God, just pour your grace out upon you. I need your mercies. Whenever we say anything to God in prayer like that, it, we're humbling ourselves and coming before Him and saying, I have a, a big hole here in my life, Lord, and only you can fill that. We humble ourselves and <clears throat> recognize, I can't do this, but God, you can. Be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. And not only be merciful, but He says also that we are to, uh, uh, to, for Him to bless us. And by the way, Notice it says, be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. Not individually. This psalmist was not just praying about himself. And that's one of the things that led me to believe that he's praying about things that he didn't quite understand all that God had in plan. Because he's not just talking about himself and his family that he knows. He's not just talking about the people in the neighborhood that he knows. He's talking about all of us. So that when we pray, even as the Lord taught in the Lord's Prayer... You ever prayed that to, and, and paid attention to the fact there's not a me in the Lord's Prayer anywhere? It's us. It's us. And so the psalmist is, is saying this centuries before the time that Jesus is on the face of this earth. <coughs> now he's, he's saying, be gracious to us. This song is not altogether new in that particular way, in that very first part there. When Israel came out of Egypt and God is speaking to Moses, he tells Moses and Aaron, he says, Aaron, you are to pronounce this upon the congregation when you meet. And he gives them another word. And that word is this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And the Hebraic way of, of doing their poetry many times was to say something in one way and then come back and say on, a little bit differently on the other one. You'll recognize that as you read the first and last part of that little statement there. In fact, it does another little trick with that too. It says it one way and then it flips it over and says it backwards the next way. Now, not literally backwards, but difference in thought there, backward thought there. And it basically is saying the same thing. So when he says... To bless us. Uh, by the way, let me come back to that word bless just a moment. The word bless carries the idea that God's peace would be upon us. Sometimes we think of blessing as all the things that we receive. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for the income. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my car. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. God has blessed me. Look at all the things that I have. God's blessed Actually, God's not interested in the things that He gives you much as you might think that He is. 
Because he doesn't give all of us the things that we necessarily want. He gives us what we need. But what we need more than anything that else that we could put our hands on, our arms around, is his presence. His peace. Actually, the idea among the Hebrew people as I looked this up was that we would have an increase of peace. Increase of peace. How do you measure that? You look on the ledger sheet and find how much peace that you have. A good retirement account might give us a certain amount of peace of looking forward into our older years. But the peace that we're looking for is God's peace that's on our heart that in every circumstance we can find His joy. His peace is there when our world's in turmoil. When it looks like our nation is headed down the tubes. Looks like the whole world's headed down the tubes. What's going on? In the midst of that, we have God's peace. He continues to watch over us and bless us. Then that final one come back to again. It says, and make your face to shine upon us. And I read that passage of scripture and I said, I, I, I just don't get it, God. What does it mean for your face to shine upon us? Because your word also says that no man has seen the face of God and lived. So how are we going to see God's face if we're going to die? How are we going to see? What does he mean by this phrase, make your face to shine upon us? Well, it didn't take very long to do a little study on that, and a little prayer on that, and say, okay, God, show me. And I read something that says that what the Hebrew mind was communicating there was the presence of God. And I said, oh, yeah. Okay. I think, too, of Moses when he comes down off the mountain and he spoke with God face to face. And yet, when he came down that mountain, he had to put a veil over his face. That reflection was flowing through him so much that the, other, that the people couldn't, they wouldn't be able to handle it. So he covered his own face there. But we want God's face to shine upon us, don't we? We want to have the presence of God. That's what it was. Can you imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve as they walked in the garden? And God walked there with them and His presence. And we need His presence so much today. And some of you are feeling that already now. You, you've made that decision a long time ago to receive Jesus as the Lord, the Savior of your life. And you walk in that and you're still working it out in your life because, you know what, sometimes I don't feel God's presence. I'm not as close to Him as I ought to be. God, what's going on? God says, <laughs> I say, God, search me. And show me any wicked way that's hidden in my life. Because you see, that's what it is that separates us from the presence of God. So you want the presence of God? Spend some time with Him in the Word. Let Him speak to you. Not everybody, though. Well, let me say this. There were people that came into the presence of God and it so affected them. In the scripture, when we read about that, we can read about Moses, we can read about uh, uh, Gideon, we can read about John, we can read about Daniel. Uh, there's several different places in the Bible where people come face to face with God, and what was their response when they came to face with face with God or God's messenger? They fell on their face. What about the guards at the tomb when the messenger of God came? And roll that stone back away from there. The guards fell as though they were dead. 
Whenever you come face to face with God, it affects you. I had a guy tell me one time, well, I'm not worried about that. When I get to that point, and I said, well, God and I will sit down and we'll have a conversation. Everything's going to be good. And I said, God, I'm sorry, but that doesn't work that way. Not according to the word of God. He never did want to receive the God I was talking about. Still pray for him. Maybe he will one day. But there are people that don't want to see the face of God. Whenever these, whenever these in the Bible saw that, the telling that I mentioned a moment ago, when they saw the face of God, it changed their lives forever. They didn't run from God. They grew closer to God. They wanted to be, more, be even more in his presence. They wanted to know that power of God in their life. And it was obvious that it was working there. But there are people that don't want to have anything to do with God. Whenever you talk to them about God, I don't want to hear about that. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. Oh, yeah, you do all the time. You just don't want to hear the truth. And whenever you share the truth, then you get rejected, don't you? Sometimes. So therefore, I'm not going to tell him. I had a guy say one time, I'm not going to invite anybody else to come to church. I invite them to come to church and they don't come. They just make liars out of them. So I'm not going to invite anybody to come to church anymore. Well, maybe that's good. I don't need to invite anybody to come to church. I need to invite somebody to come to Jesus. But you know something? Sometimes that's the door for somebody. Sometimes that's just what you need to do. Where you even say, call them up, talk to them and say, hey, can I pick you up this Sunday? I'd like for you to come worship with me. Maybe they'll come. Occasionally you run into those that get angry and don't want to have anything to do with you. That's nothing new. And it won't end in this lifetime. We find in the book of Revelation these words, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. Now they're seeing God. And they're saying, we don't want to see God. And from the wrath of the Lamb. Because when they see God, they know that God's wrath can also be there. God's love and God's wrath are both presented. And for those that want, when they see the presence of God, they can yield themselves to Him and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But if they reject Him, they say, I don't want to have anything to do with Him. I don't want to hear about Him. A guy I used to sing in a quartet with in a little church, a church down in Houston. His brother, younger brother, was a couple of years younger. I, I knew him because we would go to his house for catch the bus in the morning. And uh, it would be cold outside, and sometimes we'd go in the house. And so I met his little brother. And uh, Ronnie sang tenor, and I sang bass. And uh, don't sound like a bass right now, do I? And he said, uh, I asked him, his little brother, well, what's going on with Ronnie? He says, I don't talk to him about Jesus. He told me he would kill me. If I brought up the name of Jesus again. That's sad, isn't it? There are people like that. But I would rather tell somebody about Jesus and die than to keep the secret of eternal life from that individual. We may be called upon to do that. Some parts of the world, it already is. 
Are you ready? And why? Why? The psalmist says, That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That little word, that, gets in the way of a lot right there, doesn't it? We've received all this goodness from God. We've received the word of God. We've received the blessings of God upon our life. All that we have is from God and a blessing from God. But... I call that the eraser word. Anything that was said first doesn't count. This is what I'm really trying to say. Somebody tells you, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you know what's coming next, don't you? It's not going to be pleasant. But in this word, it's the word that. This is something that is good. That all of this that I've given you, all that you've received, that has a purpose. That purpose is that the whole world would know your way. That way. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end of that way is death. Jesus said to him, that's in Proverbs 14, 12. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's our message to this world. There's one way, and it is Jesus, and it needs to be proclaimed in every in every circumstance. Do you have the opportunity? Say, well, I don't know a whole lot of people. I don't have that, those kind of opportunities. But yes, you do. What about that person that's checking you out in a line? You look behind you and you say, hmm, there isn't anybody here. I can talk to this person for a little while. So you say something to them that is uplifting to them. Say, what a nice smile you have. Thank you for your hard work. Sometimes they're grumpy. Seems like a hard day for you. Can I pray for you? Just some little thing. doesn't take long to say something like that, does it? But it may open up something where you can talk with them. Sometimes I see such a glowing countenance. I say, you know what? I think that you and I must be brother and sister. It doesn't make any difference what color their skin is or my skin is. And I say, are we a brother and sister? And they might look at me a little curiously sometimes. Most of the time they say, yeah. I said, you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I sure do. Well, you've encouraged them. Something, well, I hadn't been to church in a long time. That opens up something. God will give you the words to speak. He will instruct you. So you've got three seconds to say something. God will put a, a thought in your mind. Say it and move on. You give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Always bringing it back to Jesus. You have those opportunities in those ways. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it's death. And Paul, I said earlier in the sermon introduction time, he says there's a mystery hidden for ages and generations. That's that 500 years I was talking about earlier. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a mystery. This psalmist had no idea about that. And Paul says it's been hidden for generations, and here it is. It's not just the, when he speaks Gentiles, he's speaking about the whole world, everybody else that the psalmist really could only have an inkling about. And then he also says in Ephesians 3, which was not made known to the men, the sons of men in other generations, as it is, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
The mystery that is the Gentiles are fellow the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ. And he says that this has been given. This, this is the message that may, needs to be made known in all the earth. And I think, I pray these prayers. This prayer. And I pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, Lord, send laborers into the harvest. And you know what? That disturbs me. I'm praying there and I'm praying these words and, and something's disturbing in my heart because I know it's you or it's you or it's you or somebody else. Folks, it's not just the preachers. The preachers have a job and their job is to, and other staff members, their job is to equip us to do the work of the Lord. They do it also. But they can't do it all. You will meet people that I will never meet. You'll meet people that Chris will never meet or know any other staff member here. They'll never meet them, but you have that opportunity. You have that anointing from God, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to, to reach out into someone's life, to touch them in the marketplace, the workplace, the family, some neighbor. God has called you into that. So please... Maybe you'll come to the same place I do as I'm praying these prayers. God, bring laborers out. And then it hits me. And I surrender. I sign up. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And if you don't feel uncomfortable in praying these and recognizing that God is calling you, then spend some more time in prayer. I believe that he'll get his voice through to you, brother. There was an old cartoon. I already mentioned that, didn't I? Was that an earlier service? Oh, well. Leave that one out. If I can't be sure. That's what happens when you get to be old, too. Oh, me. You know what, though? It's me that's standing in the need of prayer. It's me, oh, Lord. I know that as a shy teenage boy that God can equip you. And Jesus said, or came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth and again but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth you not all of you will go to the end of the earth not all of you will go to Samaria but where you are right now is your grounds. Your job that you have, that you go to on Monday morning or whenever it is that you go. God gave you that job not just to benefit your family financially, 
But he gave you that job as a mission field. Do you see the opportunity around you where you work? Say, oh, at our, at our company, we can't talk about Jesus. Oh, yeah, you can. You just have to be careful how you do it sometimes. But somebody will give you an opening, especially if you're looking for that. And you'll speak, and God will bless. And you'll minister to somebody that needs Jesus or just needs to be reaffirmed in Jesus. So we're going to make his saving power known among all nations. Why? Because all, everybody sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And so let all the peoples praise you, O God. Not everybody's going to praise him. The scripture says they make choices to go through the wrong gate. And Jesus said, go in through the narrow gate for the gate that leads to destruction is wide and the road is broad and many travel it. But it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life and only a few find it. Well, as we sit in here, the majority of us find that. But out in the world that we live in, many, many do not. There are people that even refer to themselves as evangelical Christians that say that the Word of God is not fully the Word of God. They have questions about it. There are some that say, okay, uh, it's okay to shack up, just live with somebody else for a while. I don't think that God teaches us that. Some say it's okay to kill the baby. And you know, I said that earlier, but I, I just want to come back and touch there. Our hearts ought to go out to those that have made that decision too. Because some made that decision and they just didn't know any better. And they hurt. Some are Christians and they know that forgiveness. Some are not Christians and they still hurt and they just keep it to themselves. Be compassionate to those around you. They're hurting people all around us and they need the love of God, not just the condemnation of God. We'll win more people by talking about the love of Jesus. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Isn't it amazing that, that he's talking about joy and judgment at the same time? Some people are afraid of the judgment. They dread it. They do not want to see what that kind of judgment is. But the psalmist is joyful about that. He says, I wake up in the morning, God, and you're there. He loves us. He loves you. And he loves these other people that are hurting too. Let's reach out to them. The earth, earth has yielded its increase. I mentioned this already. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Because there is going to come another reaping, folks. Another harvest, not one of food, but of population. And that harvest, and well, let's just see what he says in the book of Revelation in the 14th chapter and 14th verse. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated upon the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with the golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And that's Jesus. 
And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, really, it's kind of a joyful thing. It sounds kind of scary, but the fact of the matter is, Jesus is coming to gather us up. That's the picture there. He's reaping out His to take to heaven. Now, the next passage is not so pretty because it calls out another person. It's not Jesus doing this. And He's to stick His sharp sickle into the earth also, and He reaps these clusters of grapes. And those grapes, it says, are thrown into the wine press of God's wrath. God doesn't, doesn't hasn't, God has no mind to see everybody die and go to hell. He has no mind to want his wrath to be upon every person on the face of this earth. And he's made every preparation and provision for that not to happen. All a person has to do is a very simple thing is say, yes, I believe in you, Jesus, the one God sent. You will forgive me of my sins. I turn away from my sins and I turn to you and receive you as the Lord of my life. He will give you the gift of eternal life. And that's what that first reaping is. For those of us that know Jesus, we're going to be in that reaping. Thank you. When is it going to happen? I don't know. Maybe before we get to our cars. Maybe another generation or so. In the meantime, we are the servants of God, and we're to be doing good. Because when the Master returns, and we're not doing His work, what is His work? We've been talking about that. And that's not going to be a good picture. Look in the Scripture. There is a harvest coming, folks. You can be a part of that right now as you share your faith with others. Thank you for your attention this morning. Thanks, Brother Well, thanks, Brother Lyle, for, again, the clarion call of God's Word. Uh, such a good reminder that we are blessed. But we're blessed to be a blessing to others so that his way is known amongst all the world. I'm gonna, we're going to move into a time of invitation. We do this at the end of all of our services because we do know that uh, according to the Lord's word, when his word goes out, it does not return void. And so our assumption is that we all have something to do in response uh, to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives with the proclamation of his word. That may be for you this morning, the first time that you realize that maybe you haven't, as Lyle has said, accepted this gift, this free gift, this offer to you of eternity with him and salvation and forgiveness of sins. If you haven't ever accepted that gift, this, we pray today, be the day of salvation for you. If you have any questions about what that looks like or how that process goes, ask who brought you here or come up and we'd love to have that conversation. Or maybe you have accepted uh, this good gift that is given to you and today, like myself, you're now wrestling with the spirit of, okay, Lord, do I fear you or am I afraid of other things? What is it that the spirit may be leading you in today and encouragement to walk in his power, not your own? Or lastly, maybe you've met with Lance or the Welcome Home team and you realize that this walk and this following God is something that you don't need to do as just me, but as us. And so you want to join this dysfunctional family. Uh, this would be a time that you'd make that known as well. But whatever it is and however it is that you are to uh, respond, I pray you do so. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing as Colson leads us, but really take whatever posture you need. If you need to come and pray, if you need to meet with others in the corner and pray, if you need to kneel, if you need to find somebody else in the room, whatever it is and however it is that you respond, now's the time to do so.